Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 92, recorded on January 7th of 2020, our first episode of the new year, uh, coincides with the opening day of CES. Uh, I don't know if they actually refer to themselves as the Consumer Electronics Show anymore, but CES is still the acronym. And uh, a lot of camera companies have news that they want to share with us, stuff that's going to be coming out this year that are announced at shows like this. So uh, to dive into some of those details with me on this episode is Steve Brazel. Uh, probably, I, I can guarantee you, the uh, the most common voice besides my own on this podcast. And I really wanted Steve on because I know he can dive into the details and he does his research on these stories and there's a lot of specs to get into uh, and a fun conversation to be had. So Steve, Steve, thanks for being here. It's my pleasure as always. Thank you for having me because I, I, I say this every time, but uh, being on Photo Geek Weekly literally is the highlight of any week for me. It's it's a show I listen to when I'm not on, and I just really love our conversations. And it's it, it's fun because we have an interesting uh, sort of back and forth idea. We see different things. We understand different things. And, and that uh, adds to the conversation, just like we do with our critique show on the BehindTheShot.tv uh, network that you own. And uh, we just recorded, prior to recording this, our third attempt at getting it right uh, <laughs> to, nail, to, 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 to nail down the format uh, to something that is concise and useful. And we've been getting a lot of positive feedback from that. So I'm not sure when that's going to air, uh, but you'll be able to find that and our previous uh, sort of pilots in that area uh, at BehindTheShot.tv, right? Yep. And uh, episode number three of the Critique Show. The Critique Shows, you can get them on BehindTheShot.tv, uh, behind the, the website, or at the YouTube channel for Behind the Shot. That should go live, I'm guessing, on Thursday the 9th for the Critique Show. The normal shows are available wherever you get your favorite podcasts in both audio or video format. If you want the video, you have to look for behind the shot dash video in your podcast app, as opposed to just behind the shot, which is the audio only feed. That's right. And, uh, and how's 2020 been for you so far, Steve? 2020 has been, uh, so far it's actually starting out really, really well catching up from the holidays, but, but, uh, you know, lots to look forward to. I'm going to be a WPPI in February. I'm looking forward to that. Um, going on a later in 2020, I'm going on a workshop with our buddy Rick Salmon to Mount Rainier. That's going to be fun. So yeah, just it's looking to be a good year. I hope your holiday was good as well. It was, it was, I, you know, with a three-year-old in the house, you would, don't really call it like a holiday in the sense that it's not peaceful and you're away from work. Life's always chaos. I get that. Uh, and you just embrace it and you run with it. It was her first Christmas that she really understood the whole Santa idea and gifts under the tree and everything. So there was, there was some magic in the house. We had These a lot are of magical fun. moments. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's get into the stories. Um, story number one, something that had been rumored for quite some time. And now we have the official announcement uh, on dpreview.com. They say Canon's EOS 1DX Mark III brings new sensor, dual pixel autofocus and 5.5K raw video. They're loading everything into this thing that they can. Uh, and I, I guess from my perspective, I shot with the 1DX and the 1DX Mark II. Uh, I'm now a Panasonic shooter, uh, and I realized that I was really choosing the wrong camera for a lot of the work that I do. This camera is designed for photojournalists, for sports photographers, uh, for uh, wildlife photographers, and for some documentary work. Um, it but, it, is, but it is a bread and butter action body. 
It is an action body. It is to capture and freeze action in almost every possible way. Um, at least the, that's what the lineage has been. And this one does not change that whatsoever. Uh, we are seeing a 20 megapixel camera, the same as the, the 1DX Mark II with small variances, but it's in the 20 megapixel class. Uh, and we are seeing a, a slight increase in the, uh, the the rate of fire. I think we can go up to 20 frames per second if we're using the electronic shutter, but 16 frames per second using a mechanical shutter. So that's been slowly improving over time as well. And I think that might be about as good as you can do with a flapping mirror style camera. I think this is the apex of where that technology will, uh, will, will leave. I don't think any other camera in this market will get a faster rate of fire with a mechanical mirror. So, um, there's a lot more additional specs to, to get into here, but what was your uh, your feel for Canon coming out with this, what I'm still going to call the swan song of the DSLR uh, market for Canon, at least? I, I think you named it right, right? I mean, we all know mirrorless is going to be the future at some point, but the debate has been over the last year, you know, are DSLRs dead? And I've always argued, no, DSLRs have years left because of bodies like this in in the lower or various other areas of photography okay but if you're shooting the olympics this may be your dream body in many many ways 20 megapixels is absolutely more than enough on this body this is not a a hobbyist or prosumer or you know, guy who's really into photography that also is a wedding shooter. This is a working photographer, photojournalist body, and 20 megapixel images are sellable, quickly transferable, and quite able to do almost anything that you would generally need. But the first thing that hit me was, oh, I can't wait to see what David Bergman is doing with this because I know he's got one. <laughs> and sure enough, today, David Bergman posted a shot. He posted a couple of shots. He has been playing with it, as I guessed that he would have. He posted a shot at 12,800 ISO that was insanely clean. And for me, with this type of a body, these photojournalists are often shooting in places where they need radically high shutter speeds at radically high ISOs. And that right there, when I saw that shot was, this is going to end up being a success for them. And keep in mind that anybody using a pre-production camera body right now is doing so shooting JPEG because they have no ability to use raw data. However, this camera is capable uh, of shooting in the high, uh, high efficiency image format, H-E-I-F. Uh, right. um, and uh, that is a 10-bit format uh, that is readable by a lot of different programs, and it's becoming more and more universally adapted. In a way, I hope that this starts to phase out JPEG files. JPEGs are 8-bit. HEIF or 10-bit. Uh, and a 10-bit file, it's not just, oh, well, you're, uh, you know, 25% or so more bits. Well, when you add a bit, you double the amount of information in the file. And so you're doing that twice. You're quadrupling the information that a JPEG file can potentially have uh, in a very efficient format. So Radically increasing the dynamic range capability. So your, your point that people that are shooting pre-production on this body aren't shooting raw and therefore we don't know what the raw capabilities are. They're shooting, you know, JPEG and they're going to be limited. Yes and no, because they can shoot in HEIF, which right. anybody who owns a modern iPhone 
you have the ability to go in, you have to turn it on, but you have the ability to go in and turn on HEIF photos. And that gets you much greater dynamic range. That for me, I asked you this in the green room, that for me, the fact that this does 10-bit HDR HEIF images, that is my feature pick, oddly enough, because if you're a photojournalist, and you don't want to have to deal with raw processing, but you want to really quickly turn around JPEG-ish images, or you could call this episode yep. JPEG-ish, JPEG-ish <laughs> images quickly, but still get some leeway to push and pull, that's the feature. What would be your, your you know, flag feature? Oh, it, it, it's kind of tough to say. I, I was kind of going to go in that exact same direction as you, but the fact that this has dual CF express slots. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, I think that that, that allows you to have absolutely no buffer for anything that you're doing. And yes, they do list specific buffers. Um, if you're shooting raw plus HEIF or raw plus JPEG, uh, those are always conservative numbers. And, um, if I compare the same numbers that I saw on the one DX Mark two versus, um, what I experienced in reality, Reality, the memory cards were faster than what they were able to uh, to throw out onto their their tests and their specs. So um, this new format, again, it's supported by my cameras as well. Any camera that has an XQD card slot is theoretically compatible. You just have to have a firmware update, and that's uh, dependent on what the manufacturers will produce. But this is the first native CF Express uh, SLR camera uh, that we see. And I, I think this is going to be the trend moving forward. That There's no question. And and yeah. and your your cameras already support it, right? They do. Yeah, there was a firmware update in late uh, 2019. I haven't gotten a card yet. Uh, there was some early issues. You your, they'll cost you your child. Uh, yeah, and there was some early issues about compatibility. So I'm just going to wait until whatever the next iteration of them are, uh, and then I'll uh, dive in and probably get one of those. They're expensive. Um, they are very expensive. I've paid before. The most I've ever paid on a memory card, Steve, seven hundred dollars for what? That was for a uh, a 256 gigabyte compact flash card when they first hit the market. Wow. Most I've ever paid for storage was back in the day with my Mac SE. I bought a mirror hard drive. It was 80 gigabytes and it was $1,200. <laughs> so you win on the price. Uh, but in the modern era, this is still a game we play. You know, if you want the latest tech in terms of storage, it's uber expensive for the first year that it's out. And then the price will drop to like half or less within a, a one year right. uh, uh, cycle. So it's not a good investment if you can't use it when you buy it. But um, what was also interesting, you mentioned images shot at ISO 12,800 that were very smooth, very clean. The camera's native ISO range goes from 100 on the low to 102,400 on the high. Now we can assume uh, that the technology has had uh, iterative improvements over its predecessor so that at every point along the way, you have less noise. Uh, probably comparable at the base level. But when you get to those more, uh, you know, extreme scenarios, your image quality will inherently be better and you're getting better pixels, not more pixels. I find that for a lot of my work now, more pixels is better pixels for macro photography. I can get further away from a subject and crop in at lower ISOs and still get an exceptional image uh, with a greater depth of field. There's different cameras for different people. If you need the highest quality pixels as they are in the camera, uh, this would be the camera that is destined to deliver that kind of thing, right? You just said the key. You just said the winning sentence for this story, and that is there are different cameras for different people or different needs. It's a tool, right? Yeah. 
And that's the difference when I said prosumer consumer versus a, a working photojournalist. This is a wrench, right? Like Steve Jobs once said something to the effect of, you know, we have cars and we have trucks and, and we'll always need a truck. This is the truck, right? Yeah. It's got two processors in it. The Digic X, which from the DP review video, it's X, not 10. Uh, the Digic X is three times faster at image processing. And here's the one that amazed me. Now, this is only going to be if you're using live view, but uh, dual pixel AF is 380 times faster. But then they have a Digic 8 dedicated for metering and autofocus through the viewfinder. So the focusing system on this thing is going to be a beast. Now, one of the other things Bergman said was that the focusing system on it is amazing and in his opinion, doesn't get better. Now, he's a Canon explorer of light, right? He's not going to say something bad about it, but they did something. I'm curious with your tech knowledge, what you think of this, because they did something with the AF points on this. There are 191 AF points, <clears throat> but 155 of them are cross type. And instead of using line sensors, which is what's been done in the past. These are two-dimensional pixel arrays, which gives you, you know, an array of focus sensitivity instead of a, a linear line of focus sensitivity, which should help with less, if there's less contrast in the scene, you should still be able to get focus on it. I mean, how do you see the focus system spec-wise? That, that's the way that I understand it as well, uh, because if you have a cross-type sensor, which are typically the best um, in... And they're uh, typically only centered. Well, around the center of the around frame. The it's center. very hard to put them further towards the edges based on the nature of how light bends towards the edge of the frame. Um, so if you can uh, increase the sort of the, the granularity, if that's the proper term to say about it, uh, the, the amount of information that that sensor is able to detect and process, um, then you have just more power within that particular type of sensor. So it's a cross-type sensor on steroids, um, especially <laughs> if you have... Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Uh, yeah, uh, that, that's it. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, and I'm, I'm not sure I'd have to talk to a Canon engineer to actually figure it out uh, or have my hands on or do some actual real, uh, real world testing on that. Um, but uh, at this point, we just know that, hey, that sounds good. That's probably better. Do you think you can have too many? I mean, I look at 191 focus points, AF focus points, 525 selectable areas does that alone get kind of really? I, you know, I don't think that you need to select them. I don't mind them being there uh, and to have some intelligent algorithm to choose within a cluster, which one is probably going to be the best of that choice. Um, I don't see a, a, a spot like choosing, oh, uh, this one is probably absolutely perfect versus the one right, right next to it. And then getting into an argument with your friends about that type of thing. That's that, that's immaterial. I think that you have so many of them now. If you can intelligently give it a cluster of them and have it take over from that in order to say, okay, well, uh, I guess this looks like an eye within that cluster. I'm going to choose that right. uh, or facial features or some other recognizable object uh, and make sure that the focus stays where it should be. See, but you said I, and that's it. This, this was interesting to me. So if you're in viewfinder, right, if you're using the optical viewfinder, AF does head and face tracking, and it, it uses deep learning. So it's been trained with deep learning. If you are in live view, then you get face and eye instead of head and face, which says to me, based on what I'm reading on paper, that there is no eye tracking through optical viewfinder, yeah. which is uh, sad. 
Well, yeah, but it, it's but it's the nature of the technology. It's not seeing an image. I agree. Uh, an image isn't being recorded, and so it's using the autofocus system to approximate what an image is going to be, which is easier to do when you have that many sensors, but it's still not possible to get right. it perfect. Um, and so that is an inherent... Uh, I don't want to say flaw, uh, limitation of the flapping mirror camera design yep. because the sensor is not always active when you're not taking a picture. Yeah, I agree. I, I right. agree completely. What now do you the, think of the smart controller, the AF thing, uh, AF on? Uh, I don't think it was really needed, to be honest with you. I think they're just trying to add in a feature. Uh, this controller, for anybody that hasn't uh, looked at the specs, um, the AF on button now has a sensor on it. Which is the so rear that, button focus, so that you know, as opposed to using your shutter button for metering, and yeah. focus it's rear button focus which is what i use so it has like a trackpad like sensor on it that detects when your finger might be moving around but for me if i'm changing my position or i'm moving the, the camera around my, my grip on the camera might be solid but my finger might slip slightly on a button still firmly positioned on that button but if my finger might be sliding ever so slightly then it might change my autofocus point when I don't want it to. And you can turn the sensitivity of that feature down, but I, it's not a feature that I was ever asking for. Chris, in the DP review uh, video that he did, said, and he did mention you can adjust the sensitivity of it, but he did have trouble. You know, the advantage is that you don't have to take your thumb off of the AF on button and move it to a toggle to move your focus point. However, as he was just pushing the focus button, his focus point would move, he said. And so it's going to take, it's going to be a learning curve, but I do think that they're all interesting innovations. You mentioned the frames per second. I got to throw out there a thousand shot buffer is like insanely wow. But then they have a high detail low pass filter. And we won't know until we see images from this, how that's going to affect it. But they're using that as, as one of the bullet points for the low pass filter, that it is a high detail low pass filter. So hopefully that actually is also improving detail capture. Let's hope so. Uh, I mean, let's talk about price here. Uh, the, the camera is just a dollar under $6,500 US. Um, so again, it is a workhorse camera for professional. It is not a hobbyist's toy. That's um, not a bad price compared to the two though. What'd you pay for your two? Uh, I paid uh, just under 7,000 Canadians. So I actually paid less for my two. Okay. But again, you know, it, the, the prices are always going to be uh, flexible based on uh, region. I know Europe really gets screwed with prices too. Um, but one thing that bothers me is Canon keeps adding on the little dongle features that plug into the side of the camera. And in this case, this camera has built-in Wi-Fi. And Ethernet. But, and Ethernet. But gigabit, gigabit Ethernet. And, and that can be helpful. Again, like if you're shooting the Olympic Games or whatever else, you need the files offloaded as quickly as possible. But they still came out with their WFT, their uh, uh, Wi-Fi uh, you know, uh, file transfer uh, E9, I guess they're, they're, there's been nine iterations of this. Um, and they're going to charge you an extra $650 for the privilege of using faster and a possibly like a wider range. I don't know what secret sauce they're putting into the little dongle. They've built Wi-Fi into the camera, yet they're still insisting that if you want to use it and use it well, that you pay an extra $650. You know, I did a just a search on B&H for what costs $650. You can get a Wacom Cintiq 16-inch uh, a, a drawing tablet for $650. Uh, 
dollars. You can get really high quality projectors now for six hundred and fifty dollars. Yep. You can get an you can get a four bay NAS to back up all of your data minus the hard drives, or a two bay one with eight terabytes of space. For $650, there are so many things in the photographic space that are far more useful for that amount of money. The value proposition for those add-on dongles from Canon has always been suspect to me. Canon's been doing this for years. Um, I didn't know any better when I first started, and I bought the Canon intervalometer that cost me like $200 oh, yeah. when like Velo makes one for $20 or something. Uh, I, I'm... I'm paraphrasing the numbers here, but you scratch a zero off of it to get exactly the same quality of performance. And so Canon, seriously, if you're going to add a dongle onto the camera for features that you don't want to include in it physically, make it something worthwhile at an affordable price point because it's just, this game bothers me. And yes, I bought for the uh, the 1DX, the, the the first 1DX, I bought the, the GPS module, which conveniently they built in to, to the version 2. Um, but I really wish it was just built in to begin with, because that was, yeah. again, I can't remember what the price was, but it was probably around $600. Well, uh, and, and, and let's do this price-wise. Well, first of all, it, it includes Wi-Fi, but the specs don't say what Wi-Fi, right? Is it right. AC? I'm guessing it's not AC, and probably the WFT, the wireless file transfer, That's right. is probably AC. But it includes Bluetooth, which is an interesting one as well. That's great. It's got GPS. But it actually comes with a CF Express card, 64 gigabyte CFS card, a CF Express card and reader. At launch. And I, I had the same. I had a CFast reader and card supplied with my 1DX Mark II at launch. Well, the that card, a 64 gig card is 150 bucks right there. So you can, my, my point being, it's not 6,500. You could subtract the cost of that card. It's I suppose so. Right. Uh, just let me be a curmudgeon about it, will okay. you? Okay. All right. What about okay. video? What do you think of the video? So, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what uh, DP Review comes out with. Uh, Jordan Drake is going to be on the next episode of Photo Geek Weekly. I've got him lined up as the next guest host. Um, and we'll hopefully dive into the video more seriously then. But to do, they're saying 5.5K raw internal recording. And so this is important because Canon had previously delineated the 1DX line with a 1DC. And the 1DC had uh, full sensor 4K recording uh, and a significant the C being price their increase. Cinema series. The Cinema Series, right. Uh, now, it's funny because the 1DX was supposed to coalesce the 1D and the 1DS series camera bodies into the 1DX. And then they had the the purpose to delineate that again to the cinema. So the 1DX is really a cross of three separate lines at that point, the 1D, the 1DS, and the 1DC uh, all into one camera because the video features are probably no holds barred the best that they could push in a camera like this without cannibalizing their uh C 100, 200, 45, uh, 7, et cetera, cameras um, to give the best possible video features that they can put into this camera without making it bigger and bulkier. And a lot of the, uh, the really high-end cinema cameras have fans in them to cool them and so on and so forth. Um, so it's going to be I, interesting to see what Jordan says about it. And, and by the way, if you're not subscribed to their YouTube channel, you should be. Um, because some of the specs, I, I'm not a video guy. But one of the big things always, as, as the rumors came out about this, was would the video be cropped? Because in the past, it's been cropped for video. It is uncropped, DCI color space, 4K, 60P. 
that is actually a downsample of that 5.5K that Don was talking about, but it records 10-bit 422 Canon log. In camera, it will do 12-bit 5.5K 60p raw at 2,600 megabits per second. These are all great specs. And then I saw this. No continuous autofocus at full frame 4K 60. Now, if you're a video shooter, you may be doing pull focus anyway, right? You may be manually focusing no matter what. But for a lot of people that are running and gunning and want a killer body like this, losing autofocus at 4K 60 full frame is, is going to be an issue. Well, I think that they're putting all of their processing resources into dealing with the data and getting it processed onto the card. And if you then are, there's finite resources within a camera, right? And uh, taking stills requires far less uh, processing muscle than shooting video. Uh, Or at least you have the dedicated Digic 8 for AF and stills. So why can't that? Why can't the Digic X? I don't know. You see what I'm saying? There's just it could be repurposed for something else in the video in order to eco out the best possible ideas. We don't know how the engineers have decided to to split out these resources. But um, if you are shooting at the highest possible quality settings, you're probably not going to rely on autofocus. And if autofocus is important, then. then you can change settings and get autofocus back. Yeah. I presume oh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's only at that, that, that level. And by the way, the last feature that we didn't mention that has to be mentioned, because I think for some people, this would be huge shooting in dark backlit buttons. Yes. Finally, Canon. Thank backlit you for joining buttons. the rest of the industry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Um, so backlit buttons. Yeah. And I I think this camera is going to shape up to be something really interesting, uh, for the shooters that can afford it and need to afford it. Um, interesting that they put an HDMI mini port, not a full size port, but we're not going to get into the whole semantics, uh, of that, uh, that sort of immaterial to the, the announcement that we have. It looks good on paper. Let's see if it is actually a worthwhile upgrade to people using the 1DX Mark II that found that it was not providing them uh, the necessary camera muscle that this is now offering. So see, that's really going to uh, going to affect the sales, right? I mean, what, what are the actual sales numbers going to be? Because what if the 1DX Mark II was good enough for most people that are still using it? Well, there's people out there still shooting a, a 5D Mark II and they're happy. And you know what? They're making sellable images. So... Again, it's a tool. And, uh, and we, I, we I own two 5D Mark IIs. We kind of touch on this in one of the stories coming up later in this show. And that is, you may be shooting a 5D Mark II because you just don't need a 5D Mark IV. And you may stay with a 1DX you know, Mark I because this isn't worth the upgrade to you. And that's, that's the spending money thing we touch on later. All right. Let's go on to our next story then. Again from DP Review, a rumor, and they don't usually post rumors on DP Review, so that's kind of curious, a rumor that the Samsung Galaxy S11 Plus uh, sensor is to use non-acel technology. Okay, so um, we previously had tetracel technology, which was clusters of a number of pixels, I believe four, um, and now the non-acel technology is clusters of nine pixels that then reform into a single pixel. I shouldn't call them pixels, nine photosites, um, because that's on the sensor when you have a red they, photo they are, detector. They're calling them a pixel cluster. Well, okay, so 
but the, I think the word pixel is often misused because yes. when you have a, a bare pattern or any color filter array and you have the green uh, detector, that's detecting just the color green. It's not detecting uh, red, blue, and green, which would be a pixel. It's just detecting one of them. It's called a photosite at that point. Um, but regardless, you're taking nine, if this is photosites or pixels, and you're combining them together because they're stating that this thing is going to be a 108 megapixel sensor. Except it's not because of the merging. Because of the merging. And, okay. I, Steve, and by the I way, mis- this is what confuses people when they see, oh, the Galaxy S11 Plus is going to be 108 megapixels. And no, it's it's not really. And it confuses people. And this is, by the way, we're talking like February. Right. Phone. And so you, you, you cut that down, uh, divide that by nine, and you're in the same ballpark of pretty well every camera phone sensor that we have right now in terms of the output resolution. Um, so, Steve, am I missing something? Why is this technology continuing to, to permeate the industry? Is it just because they have no other way to market? Or... Is there something that I don't know in the way the deep learning AI algorithms, whatever term you want to use, can interpret this information more effectively? Because you're not getting more resolution due to diffraction at this point. I think it's a combination of both. So the first thing that hit me when I saw this was this is 3D TVs, right? The, yeah. They, they couldn't, it, it gets back to do you upgrade the camera, right? They couldn't get people to replace their TVs that were working for six, seven years. So they came up with 3D. Nobody wanted to wear the glasses. In my opinion, it it was an effective failure in the home. HDR is way more important in the home. But with that said, it's, it's at that level because they're implementing the technology possibly before it's ready for mainstream. So computational, you know, computational photography is the future. Okay. I, you know, artificial intelligence and computational learning in a photography sense in a phone is where everything's going to go. But like with any computational system, the more data it has to make its decisions, the better. So giving it all of these photo sites and giving it all of these pixels, and by the way, in particular, because of the way that it works, instead of being a 0.8 size, When you merge nine instead of four, you're at a 0.24 size. Now you're better for low light. You've got better light gathering for everything, which is going to help with that AI to make the decisions or that machine learning to make the decisions. So I think in the long run, having the data is not a lost cause. I just don't know that on a phone, unless they utilize that in the software for computational learning, and I don't think they're going to yet properly, I don't know that it's needed. You're still talking a 12 megapixel image out of a phone, which is more than enough. Yeah. And the the sensors on phones are not going to get remarkably bigger in physical size, right? I mean, because then you have to have a bigger lens and a bigger bulge and so many other things. And yes, there's some novel ways around that, uh, but we're just not there at at this point. So yeah. And and let me me throw something in if I might, because this, this literally just popped into my head. No matter what this technology gives you, right? If this technology gives you all of that data and they are even able to use it computationally to make decisions and get better low light pictures, et cetera, you still have phone engineers making decisions on how their phones 
process images. So you take a picture with an iPhone today where the technologies are all pretty much the same sensor-wise across the lines, and the Samsung phone is going to be more saturated and do worse in areas and better in areas, and the iPhone is going to be more flat and more true to life. To the eye, some people like the Samsung yeah. more saturated look Absolutely. better. It's a personal choice, but it's an engineer's decision. So give them all that data. If the engineer doesn't choose to use it in a way that's beneficial to my eye, I don't care. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I feel like if you just had 12 million really good pixels without all of this interpolation of extra data, which again, takes extra processing power, which drains your battery and, and so on and so forth. And yes, the processors are getting better and everything is improving. It's not just the camera sensors. Um, but I'm, I'm still, I, I would love for one of those engineers to write into the show and say, this is why this matters for improving the image quality an extra that. 5%, I don't, an extra 2%, whatever. If this is what gets you the edge and you can explain that to me, then by all means, please do. Otherwise, this is blue crystals to me. And then don't you misuse the power. Because again, I'm not a fan of this, a lot of the Samsung images. They're way over-sharpened and way over-processed and saturated to my eye, but a huge center portion of the population in their eyes love it, right? So to me, it's use the tools that you're creating for yourself properly. Because anything right. can be misused. That's right. Uh, talking about tools, what if you have the existing tool that's in your camera as it is, and it's now four times better? Um, this is from Petapixel. New lithium sulfur battery could quadruple camera battery life. And so uh, researchers at Australia's uh, Monash University have developed what they're calling the world's first efficient lithium sulfur battery, an ultra high capacity design that could quadruple battery life and run a smartphone for five consecutive days without a charge. Now, now lithium battery technology has been constantly improving. It's one of those things that, especially with electric vehicles, the amount of research and design and patents and discoveries in this area have been huge. We've seen just in this past year, uh, the first aircraft that can be powered by electricity instead of uh, fossil fuels. And so, yes, this affects us as photographers. Wouldn't it be great if you could just drop in a battery that lasts four times as much? Uh, and who knows how they keep the charge? We have no details uh, in that regard. But Steve, let your mind go wild on this. Not just for cameras, but if this is true, and it seems like this is not just a pie in the sky idea, um, it's, it claims in the uh, uh, Monash University press release that the researchers are on the brink of commercializing this particular breakthrough. Further testing in cars and solar grids are planned in early 2020, um, leaving us hopeful that this tech could actually hit mainstream in the next couple of years. What do you see this doing to change the world? Not First just of all, photography. It's already patented. It's yep. already prototyped. Major manufacturers already interested. The, the this derives from something. As I was reading the article, I, I had to read this part twice. It's inspired by a bridging architecture between molecules in detergent powders that was discovered in the seventies. But because they figured out how those molecules and detergent powders were bonding and staying together, they were able to make a battery where effectively what they've got is stronger bonds inside the battery. 
the stronger bonds inside the battery make it more uh, 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 resistant or it accommodates stress better. It's also more stable, apparently, than any battery to date. Now, I'm, I'm reading into the, this, but you made the comment, we don't know what they're going to be like charging-wise. How well do they hold a charge, et cetera, et cetera, or you know, how long do they take? <clears throat> that says to me even the charging process could be better because they're more stable under stress, right? Or, or, or stable at different temperatures as well. Or stable at different temperatures. That's another like thing, it, shooting it, in it, snow. If, if I if I charge my car, for example, um, it has a very limited charging capacity when it's like minus ten Celsius outside compared to when it's twenty Celsius outside. Uh, so uh, the, the same could be like if I've got batteries that are I have no idea what the efficiency level is based on temperature either, especially if it's an entirely different technology. One of the big issues that we've had with lithium ion battery technology is that any truly innovative concept that we have seen in the past, and there have been many, uh, is that they required a drastically different manufacturing process. Right. You couldn't easily adapt existing plants that are making batteries to manufacture the new radical exotic designs and so they never really caught on because it wasn't economically viable for them to do so uh, because good enough was good enough um, and i don't know exactly what the manufacturing process here involves but if it's four times better and we have new battery manufacturing plants being made all the time now for a variety of different industries we no longer have the problem of oh it's not compatible because we're building new facilities. We can just build one for this tech uh, and uh, and now have a, an advantage that isn't just a 20% advantage on our competition. It's a twofold advantage. Well, and, and let's be honest, battery technology is the bottleneck, right? For so much in our life, when you start looking, I mean, not really a Moore's Law thing, but kind of the, the bottleneck to many of the advancements that we want in consumer, going back to CES, right? In consumer electronics today is in huge part to the fact that while battery tech has changed over the years, really the life and usefulness of batteries has not changed in a great long time. This, when you're talking four times the use or five consecutive days on a phone where most people now are lucky to get one. So that's a five time increase. 621 miles in a car, a thousand kilometers, you know, whereas now you're lucky to get, you know, 300 to 400 miles in an electronic car. These are not by any means small advancements. This is what every researcher Elon Musk has been trying to do this. This is what every researcher in battery technology, this is the holy grail if it is what they say it is. And this could be a breakthrough, in my opinion. This could literally change uh, uh, the Internet of Things, consumer electronics, gadgets and tech as we know it today, just having a better power supply. And the miniaturization of technology as well, right? Because if if you could have a battery ooh, that is ooh. one fourth the size and get the that, same that we get now, then then you have the ability to make things four times smaller, or at least the battery component is four times smaller. Um, and and so that means like micro drones that could be like the size of a fly, uh, which you know for all sorts of surveillance and intelligence technology that could be a very useful Ooh. thing. And military budgets can push this thing quite far uh, into uh, viable products, and then is commercialized. Well, later. think about the so, watch I'm wearing. I'm wearing an Apple Watch, and part of the reason it's so thick is because the battery that's in there takes up a lot of space. Imagine if you could just shrink the battery in here to a quarter its size, 
this could probably become standard watch thickness. So exactly. there's, there's, yeah, it's, Ooh. Uh, yeah, it sends shivers down my spine too. Uh, and, and we look at this thinking that the technology that, that we are using today doesn't fundamentally change, get faster. Uh, it, it, it doesn't perform better. It just lasts longer and might get smaller and more convenient. Uh, so it's not going to be as revolutionary in terms of, uh, we've got this great, great new uh, organic camera sensor technology that completely revolutionizes things. But if I could take the camera that I already have, I know and I love, and drop in a battery, whether it's by the first party manufacturer or some third party person that has licensed the patents um, and to drop in a battery, this could actually be a paradigm shift where third party batteries are better than first party batteries if they're using this technology. Yeah, no, it's it, there's there's a lot going on here. There is, but there's nothing else that we could really talk about. We can just have pie in the sky discussions uh, and and be excited about it. But the fact that it is so close to reality, you know, testing within the next couple of months in in actual production environments. And let's not forget, uh, by the way, something else that just hit me is weight. Right, you you the one DX Mark III we talked about has a huge battery, which is part and and that's part of the reason it's such a big body and such a heavy body. So now you also have a weight advantage. There's yeah. Yep, I'm tons this, of stuff. This one, this is tech I'm excited about. It, it is, especially because it's stuff that I don't think many people are going to be talking about. You know, if if I look on uh, on DP review, if I look at the Canon One DX Mark uh, Mark III article, it's got 162 comments. Um, if I look at the rumor of the Samsung Galaxy S11 Plus sensor, it's got 165 comments. The Petapixel article has only 41 comments. Comparatively, less interesting um, to people, but it should be more. This is such a big advantage to everybody, regardless of brand and loyalty. Uh, and whatever banner you want to fly. So, th- and this by is the cool. way, props to the author on this article, DL Cade, for pulling this into the photography world and writing it up on Petapixel. Agreed. Uh, uh, DL Cade has done a lot of great work for Petapixel over the past few years. So, uh, and this uh, this is one of them. Let's go on to our final story for the day. Uh, I always like to have fun oh with the boy. final story. So, uh, from F Stoppers, uh, Nicole York posted. 10 things photographers need to stop doing in 2020. Now, I don't really like clickbait articles, but some of these points here, they're interesting. They're not. I agree and I disagree. Uh, and that's why we're, we are going to opine on this story. And as and I recall, the same day on F-Stoppers, there was an article of, I don't know that it was 10, 10 things photographers need to start doing in 2020. <laughs> right. So let, let's, let's talk about this. And uh, and I, I hope that you have one of your own to add oh to this list. Yes. Okay. Okay. So number one, stop expecting work to show up on your doorstep. Now, maybe that's the narcissism in society today that uh, people assume that if you hang out your shingle, if you, if you build it, they will come. If you have a camera and you say you are worthy, then everybody will just flock to you and praise you and give you work. Uh, that's never been true. That's not something that you should stop doing now. It's something that you should have stopped doing in 1940. It, it, it should have never been something that you have done. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? Overconfident much? Yeah. It's <laughs> it's so funny that, that this was the first one because I don't know if you watch Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which is Jerry Seinfeld's show. Yep. 
And there was an episode that we just watched with Alec Baldwin. I think it was the Alec Baldwin episode. And there, uh, he took Alec Baldwin back to the, the area of New York. They were both born and raised. And Massapequa, I think it was. And uh, I could be wrong. Somebody's going to correct me in, in comments. But they talked literally about this, that there are so many actors out there that just sit and think, I'm an actor and I did this. Why aren't people knocking down my door? And it's just, it's never been the case. You, you, you need to make your own success. You need to functionally create your Instagram account and do it in a way that attracts business or your website and put that website in front of people or reach out to photo editors or network and make connections. There are, there are steps that are tried and true in business to getting clientele. Yeah. If you're not doing them, you're a, you're a prosumer, you're a hobbyist. If you're a business person, everything comes from how do I make profit and get clients? Next one is stop spending money in the wrong places, which I agree with. I mean, how many people lust after the latest new camera body because it, you think it's going to make you better or the newest lens or gadget that you see um, because, you know, well, it's better than what you have. And so thereby you will be better because you possess it. Um, uh, yeah. Again, so many powerful images have been taken on film cameras. I mean, that, that's, that was not a barrier to those people making those images at that time. So what else could you spend money on photographically? They say, could $1,200 have been spent on an advertising plan, a portfolio review, mentorship, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many ways for you to spend your photographic budget if you are in the market of building your business to create an advertising plan. How many photographers these days actually spend money on advertising? I mean, don't take out a page in the phone book. That's yesteryear. But um, I mean, build a functional campaign uh, around Facebook or other social media platforms um, and hire somebody that knows how those dynamics work to better attract your audience. And that's going to take you money and it's going to make you more money in the process because it's going to bring those people to your door, right? It, it's what I just said. It's, this yeah. is what's known as running a business, right? Exactly. It's not hobby, it's business. And it's what we talked about with the 1DX Mark III as well. When we were talking, and I made the comment that there are people out there with a 5D Mark II right now that are working photographers that are making not only sellable images, but images that the bride and groom absolutely love. So yeah. it comes down to me for one rule. Buy the tools that you need to do your job and make profit, not just make money, right? You make money and lose in the long run. To make profit, A, or, and or, make your workflow better to where for the amount of profit that you make, it takes you less time, right? Right. It's running a business. Uh, the next two I'll jump together. Uh, stop worrying about what settings other photographers used and stop worrying so much about gear. And it's kind of the same message, right? I mean, Another photographer in another scenario is going to use different settings than yours. If you try if you try to mimic what another photographer is doing by mimicking the settings that their camera was set to, that has absolutely no bearing on the art that you're trying to create in a different scenario. If yes you if, if no. Well, here's the thing. If you don't fundamentally understand what those settings are and why they should be there, and you're missing the point. If you're simply living in the how and not the why, you will not actually learn anything as part of the process. So here's my thing on this one. I'm not going to group these together the way I'm going to answer this. She makes a comment in here that I love, right? She, by the way, she, I totally agree with her. She's spot on, except for 
where I don't agree with her. <laughs> Here was the quote. You'd learn, you would learn a lot more about the creation of a photograph if you asked the photographer why they chose the settings that they used. Now, when I read that, I went, that's my podcast. Yeah. Right? On my podcast where we break down a shot, not to plug my podcast, I don't- No, let's plug right it. Now. But but it it ties in here, right? This is ex- This is what she said in that sentence is why I made my podcast. Because- there is a big difference between what what was your EXIF data, which I always try and get on my shows, right? And why did you make the choices that you made? And that's a key. You need to understand that. But here's where my, my issue is. That only all fits if she's talking to working photographers, people who really want to make it a living, yeah. people who are already good, who already understand an exposure triangle. You said you have to understand exposure. Yes, but some people don't yet, right? Nobody has a secret f-stop. There is no, your, your f-stop that you used isn't, you know, some proprietary thing. That's crazy. If you're learning photography, now that may not be who she's talking about. But if you're a younger photographer, you're new, you're doing it, you've never shot macro, you've never shot a portrait with off-camera lighting, having a baseline, right? All learning starts from a baseline. Right. No matter what but you're learning, you the have learning to have a baseline. The learning is the why. The learning is the why. The learning is not the how. And that right. goes with it. Yeah. But if you look at somebody and say you know, what exposure was on this shot, this off-camera portrait shot? I can kind of tell where the light was and you do it and you and you can't recreate what they did. That's part of the learning to also then try and adjust what you did, right? Yeah. So it's, it's a twofold thing. Yes, you need to understand the why. That's entirely what my show is about is the why did you make the choices that you did? But I don't agree that you shouldn't ask if you want to know. You want to ask me my exposure settings? I just did a guest blog post for Scott Kelby's blog. And under every picture, I put my exif data. If you want to know what the exposure is, ask. I'm not one of those guys that's going to go, well, that's not going to help you, so I'm not going to tell you. That's that. Well, that's sure. I, it, it can be a tool. And, and I'm uh, in the book that I'm writing right now, I'm including a lot of that information as well because it can be useful. But it is- Depending on level. It, it's an ingredient. It's not the whole recipe. Uh, it, exactly. it tells you exactly. It, it tells you what's gone in, but it doesn't tell you how it's working. Um, so the, the next one, and this this one rings. Well, let's really get into your gear one because the one thing you, the stop worrying about so much gear. Yep, that's the same thing as stop spending money by the tools that you need. It's the exact. That, same thing. That, that's exactly it. That's kind of why I was kind of lumping it in because it kind of means the same stuff. We've discussed it, uh, but the next one after that, stop trying to avoid failure. This is societally driven, I believe. You know, you've got uh, kids in organized sports that aren't taking scores anymore because everybody should be a winner. No, people lose. Learn to lose and learn to lose gracefully because when you lose, you, you're you making mistakes. You're, you are failing, but I don't want to call it a failure. If it's a mistake that you learn from, that is not a failure. That is a success in its own right. If Losing you get does it, not equal failure, by the way. If you Both can it, exist... Losing yeah. does not equal failure. If you get it right the first time, you've probably learned nothing and you're going to rest on those laurels and still not learn anything from the process, right? You probably played it too safe. Yeah. If you nail it the first time every time, you're not taking chances. Exactly. And again, to the book that I'm writing, I, I'm purposefully putting in mistake images showing that, yes, this was I the first that. attempt. 
And okay, well, what's the thought process? How do we go from here to the next one? But the next one isn't the final image either. Um, what's wrong with that? How do we analyze that and build on that? Because that is so valuable. And I think a lot of people miss the mark there. Well, I think we have to get out of that societal mindset. Fail, failure is not a real thing. Losing is a real thing. You can play a match. You can do you know, a, a soccer game and you can win or lose. There is a winner. There is a loser in many areas of life. Failure is a completely different concept and failure is not a real thing in many ways. Learning is the real thing. So you're going out on a job. My, my process, my, my favorite thing doing a job would be you go out and you get the shots you need. The first thing you shoot are the safe shots that you know, the client wants, and then at least say, you know what? I've got an idea on something. Do you mind trying something just off the wall. It might not work, it, but you know what? Let, let's experiment here. We, we got what we came for. At least one experiment yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the next two I'm going to lump up together. Stop measuring worth by likes and stop chasing trends. You know, if I take a very poor photograph of a half-naked lady, it's probably going to get a heck of a lot more likes than my most uh, detailed and beautifully, scientifically marvelous snowflake photograph. Um so is is one better than the other? Well, it depends on human nature, I suppose. But don't measure the worth of that based on the number of people that like it, because that's also based on your audience. And if you're just starting, your audience is going to be small and the number of likes that you have are going to be small. Stay passionate about what you are interested in and stop chasing trends as a result of trying to get more likes in your work based on what you see other people doing that is popular for them. Right. Well, and stop judging the worth of that photo by that. But more importantly, stop judging your own worth. Yeah. By how many likes that you get. Uh, There's something in image competitions. It was actually our buddy Troy Miller that, that originally used this phrase in front of me when we were judging an image competition together once. And in image competition, when people compete in photo groups, they usually get something called merits that are then used at a national level to get medals or whatever it is um, or, or uh, you know, accolades of some sort. If you score a certain thing on your image, you get a merit. But see, in the real world, there's something called green merits. Green merits mean your client paid you. Yeah. Right? I could submit an absolute crap image to an image competition because it's crap for the image competition. And in the image competition, they're going to look at it and rip it apart. But the bride and groom that are in that shot printed it at four feet by three feet and hung it over their living room couch. Because they love it. And they printed five by sevens to give to their parents because they love it. And they paid me for all of it. Now, I don't do wedding photography. I'm doing an analogy, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, there's more important things. Yeah, there is. Uh, Just do what you're good at. And if you don't know what you're good at, do what you're passionate about and you'll be, become good at it, right? Focus, kind of turn that internally. Um, But at the same time, That ties into the next two points here. Uh, Stop picking on new photographers and stop doubting yourself. And they are connected, by the way. They are. Uh, You know, I I forget who said it. I really wish I remember uh, who had uh, had mentioned this to me. But it was the thought that everybody you ever meet knows something that you don't know. You know, you can learn something from every other person on the planet. And if you think that you know everything, well... Uh, to, to, to quote uh, a, a famous uh, lyric from a song, if I claim to be a wise man, it's sure to mean that I don't know. Oh, you're and, striking to my heart. 
<laughs> and so w- w- when you think about the world around us, it's an art form. Photography is an art form. And if we consider ourselves the top artists that have made something perfect, you don't understand what art is because there is no such thing as perfect art. You always have an ability to improve. And the only way that you improve is by looking at other people's work, being inspired by their work, failing yourself as well. You know, stop doubting yourself because you're afraid that you're going to make mistakes. Well, that's the only way that you're going to get better. That's the only way anybody does. And if somebody posts an image that isn't great, It might have some merits. It might have some room for improvement. Analyze it. Look at that. I mean, listen to our critique show that we do, and you'll see us doing that as well. Then just pull up your Instagram feed and mentally critique the images. Say good and bad stuff. I don't want to say bad. Say constructive criticism and meritable comments in your own mind about every image that you see because every image taken has something good you can say about it, even an out-of-focus photograph of a cat on Facebook. When, I, when I've had images in an image, co- image competition, there are times I sit there silently when we're in a room and I'm watching the judge rip my shot apart. And in my head, I'm thinking, you're an idiot. You don't know what I shoot. You know, I, I'm disagreeing with them. And yet, every single time, there's a moment where you go, really? You saw XYZ in my photo? I, I never would have imagined somebody saw that in my image, you can learn so much from analyzing your own photos and having other people analyze your photos. This, the, you, you made a comment, somebody, every, somebody out there knows more than you about everything, right? There's an old saying in management or, you know, the, the way I think of management of a company. There are managers out there and we've all worked for them or know them that when the lowly guy in the business has an idea, they don't want to hear it. Either they're afraid he wants to take their job or he's young, he doesn't know, I know everything. And my attitude was always, if you're the head of a company and you've got a lowly driver, whatever, or secretary or assistant or whatever, for all you know, their dad or their grandfather ran a business like yours and it was way more successful. You don't know the knowledge that is in people's head. Your better bet is to welcome it and bring it on. And I think a lot of the insults that happen online are that second one, stop doubting yourself, right? Yeah. We all have self-doubt. Don't let that turn into bringing another human being down. It comes back to me to always Wheaton's Law. And Wheaton's Law is? Can I say it? Don't be a... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, don't be phallic. Uh, maybe we'll say it that way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay. Uh, let's go on to the, the, the last one. Uh, stop expecting success to happen overnight. Again, people in the age of entitlement, if we can call it that. And I think that that's really what this is today. Expect that, uh, the world will be handed to them on a silver platter, uh, and it will happen immediately. You, you, you cannot build a business successfully, uh, without the number of hours put into it. And I'm no stranger to 100-hour weeks. I mean, I hate them, but I'll do them when they're necessary. And I've spent many thousands of hours on specific subjects over decades uh, in the photographic space. I, the very first successful photograph that I say that basically started my career uh, was taken on January 11th of 2009. So that is uh, just about 11 years ago. 
And I have been constantly learning ever since then. In fact, now I have so many new ideas to explore that will probably result in initial failures that I had back then. That when I was just starting, I had some concepts, I had some ideas, and a lot of them didn't work. A lot of them just needed to mature over time as experience was gained, and then successes slowly happened. I had some happy accidents along the way. Everybody does. Um, but unless you can, like my, my educational background is advertising and marketing, okay? As a business person and as a photographer, if you're trying to make a business out of it, you are a business person. Uh Learn the strategies for good marketing over the long term. Brands have done this for well over a century in order to make sure that they stay relevant and they play the long game. Play the long game with your work, not only in building your brand, but building your skills as well. It takes time. Don't expect it to take anything less than five years before you start getting good at it. If, if the answers you're getting to your issues and your problems and your questions solve all of those questions, then you were asking the wrong questions. Yeah. Your questions, the, the answers to your questions or your curiosities should inevitably bring along with those answers, new questions. That's where the growth comes in. Explore the new questions. That's, that's the forward momentum in your, I don't want to say career because I don't even mean it as a business sense. In your photographic journey, whether it be for personal use or for business use. However, she made the comment in the article, quote, so stop expecting yourself to meet unrealistic expectations of immediate, su uh, immediate success. It's a myth. Okay, two things. One, she's right. It's not necessarily a myth per se. It's just really darned unlikely that you're going to have it, it overnight success. You, it has happened it before. It can happen. So People have also won the lottery before, but don't bank on that. Exactly. But here's the thing. I don't agree with stop expecting. Look, you can expect anything you want. If you want to expect that you're going to be a huge success in a year, you go for that. Keep that delusion of grandeur your alive. your expectations of it succeeding are realistic, right? Yeah. You can write on a piece of paper, I'm going to cash this $100,000 check in a year, as long as you know it's an outside chance. So dream however big you want to dream. Keep your your expectations realistic. I agree. So, I agree. So what's yours? Oh, I was going to ask you what's yours first. Oh, okay. So here's mine. Mine's an easy one. <clears throat> My big pet peeve with social media. I know photographers that are quote unquote phenomenal photographers, but they go do a shoot and then they like brain dump 20 30, 40, 50, I've seen 75 images or more from a photo shoot on social media. And as I'm going through, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's not, oh, ooh, uh huh. And to me, you become the photographer of the one that made me go, ooh, uh, not the one that made me say, wow. Right. So only show images that show you the way you want to be seen. I don't, you have yeah. to be harder on yourself. If you think you've got 50 good images, I'd put money down that you're wrong. Right. So, so cull it down, be hard on yourself, look at them over a couple of days, not five minutes, and only post the best, even if that means you post one image from a shoot. That's right. I completely agree. And uh, take behind the scenes photographs uh, and don't keep any secrets. Do not keep secrets. 
tell everybody exactly how you did stuff because chances are the majority of people in your audience might not be able to recreate it even if they know, but knowing how it was done adds value to your work, adds value to your brand. And after all, you're building a brand, right? Uh, and so if, if you start hiding stuff, I, I know some portrait photographers in the 1950s would deliberately uh, draw lighting diagrams incorrectly in articles and interviews and explain things to get these results that was dishonest. So if somebody was to try to recreate that exact effort, uh, that they would come up with different results, less effective results. Um, in the age today, everybody probably knows what you already know. Or if you know something that nobody else knows, you don't gain an advantage by keeping that to yourself because somebody else is going to figure it out too. Because there are so many photographers around the world, you get credit for it if you share it. And you get more respect from the audience that you're sharing it with by doing so in that process. So give away all of those secrets. Show people how you do it all. And if they come in and and eat your lunch because they decide to do it better than you, then that's because you stopped trying. And you didn't build a brand around what techniques you were able to develop. And I'm not saying that you have to give it away for free. You can make a course on something, but just give it away in some sense. Uh, make it available for other people to learn. Uh, and, and always know that anybody that's watching your work, if they truly care about it, they want to know more about it and give that to them. I have nothing to add that was brilliantly said. It's true. There is enough room for everybody. This whole idea of it's me or somebody else is going to, it's the same thing I said about, you know, bosses at a company being afraid of an employee coming up. It's a community and there's plenty of room for other people. There's already other macro photographers. Now I would argue there's very few macro photographers literally on the planet as good as Don Komarechka, but there's other really good macro photographers out there. That doesn't threaten you. You've got your niche. You do what you do. You do it better than pretty much anybody. And you still share everything that you know. So that's the working model for what he just said. And one final bonus thing. Um, stop arguing on the internet. It just doesn't make you look good. I completely agree with you. Uh, people... Again, I still believe it comes down to, in part, like it has for so many things in life, you tend to put things down either you're afraid of or worried about. Yeah. And, you know, you're not going to change somebody's opinion on the internet, no matter how educated you are. You're just going to aggravate them to, to retaliate back against you. And other people watching this back and forth discussion don't think highly of anybody unless you are incredibly salient in what you're saying and you are definitively right by everybody. But when you're a photographer and things are subjective to different opinions, that's almost never the case. So just understand that other people have different, uh, different opinions and fight fire with water. Don't try to add fuel to that. And, and maybe if everybody listened, the world would be a better place, but that's not going to happen. Uh, but at least the few of us that are listening to this podcast uh, can maybe take that to heart. Ditto. All right, All right Steve. Uh, picks of the week. Uh, what do you got for me? So I have a pick of the week that I, I just happened to, I own an Osmo Pocket. I think it was a pick of the week months ago when I got it. And... I love my DJI Osmo Pocket. It is it is really cool. And I bought a bunch of accessories for it. I just recently got the USB-C audio input for it. It's kind of cool. And I was watching a video or YouTube popped up a video suggestion on a lens attachment. 
I thought, I don't know, man. It's a small little gimbal with a small little motor. How good can that be? And I watched the video and was somewhat taken aback. It's from a company called Freewell Gear. It's at freewellgear.com. You can also find this particular product I'm going to mention on the DJI site in the DJI store, which is where I bought mine from because the Freewell site didn't have them in stock. DJI said they did, and I got it in about a week, maybe a week and a half, because it did come from overseas. It is a wide-angle lens for the DJI Osmo Pocket. It's tiny. It's magnetic. You snap it on the front, and the first thing I thought was, okay, this little teeny lens, it's wide-angle. It's going to have a horrible bowing effect, not a fisheye that makes it look intentional, but more of a bad wide-angle bowing that makes it look cheap. Well, that wouldn't have made it your pick of the week. Exactly. It is not rectilinear by any means, but it is somewhat shockingly not distorted. Uh, It's also surprisingly sharp near the edges, you know, considering what you're doing. When you find the these one, adapters, uh, which you could have gotten for even for point and shoot cameras for years, I know the um, the Canon G series of cameras way back when would have wide angle adapters for the lenses and stuff like that. Um, but you'd always lose something in the process, right? Ex- what exactly. Do you, what, what do you give company, away here? This company makes multiple level ND filters, a polarizer, you know, like you would do for a drone, right? Like your Mavic or whatever. The key thing that they say is, and apparently the latest firmware for the DJI Osmo partially solves this. The gimbal motor is not super strong. So what they tell you is don't attach this to the front of it before turning it on. Because when you turn an Osmo pocket on, the gimbal goes through its orientation process and powering up and lifting it with the heavy lens on is tough. Once the gimbal's got it centered and leveled, you can attach this and it's not a problem. Now, supposedly the latest firmware does make it better at handling the extra weight of the lens, but for $35, it's it's an amazing add-on because now when you're walking around with your Osmo Pocket, you're not capturing that kind of boring standard field of view, 4K or not, that everybody else is getting you get just a little extra more so for me when i'm at wppi in february when i'm walking a showroom floor getting b-roll footage it'll be wide angle when i'm doing an interview i'll pop it off i'll do the interview with the the osmo pocket or a gopro or something like that or my phone even and uh that will be the normal field of view it's just for 35 bucks it's a great set they send it to you in a holder that holds four filters uh, I'm assuming if I order one more filter, I get another four holder, but they have kits as well that have, you know, two, four, eight, whatever stop NDs, a polarizer, bunch of options, freewellgear.com or the DJI store. That's a great recommendation and affordable for people to just get more out of equipment that they might already have. So that, that's what I like. Um, and, you know, as a lot of photographers, you know, we, we were talking about gear and maybe buying a new camera. Chances are you did like I did. And you you bought a new camera and you kept your old body as a backup, okay, just in case. And then it collected dust for like six months. You never touched the thing. That's not really useful for you in that case. And so um, I'd recommended in the past to have cameras converted to infrared photography. It can bring new life to that camera. Uh, and I've been talking with uh, Dan Llewellyn, who actually did an episode on infrared on the Inside the Lens podcast. 
uh, way back when. It's still available on the Photo Geek Weekly uh, website to take a look at at photogeekweekly.com. Um, but I sent him, I, I specifically purchased a Lumix S1 because I'm now shooting with the Lumix full frame camera bodies and I sent it to him pretty well out of the box. I just opened it up, made sure that it was functional and then put it back in and sent it off to him to be converted to full spectrum photography. It's one of the features um, that, uh, or one of the services that he offers. He's based in New Jersey. So if you don't want to use LifePixel that's based in Seattle on the West Coast, you want something a little bit closer, uh, he does an exceptional job and he does all that work himself and he knows his stuff. He's got uh, an amazing clean room and he'd never taken one of these cameras apart before. Uh, he's, he basically told me, I'll do it. If it can't be done, I won't charge you. Uh, and it came back to me and the top dials weren't working. I sent it back to him at expense to him he purchased an S1 on his own to take it apart and figure out what went wrong and replace the top panel from the one that he bought onto my camera and then sent mine back to me repaired and in perfect working order. That's the kind of service that is very, very hard to find. Yeah, because you're talking he's doing surgery on a brand new camera. Exactly. And so his website is maxmax.com. Now, his website is archaic. Uh, please forgive that. He is a genius. He is brilliant at what he does. He does amazing stuff. Uh, Dan Llewellyn, and he does camera conversions to infrared, ultraviolet. He's actually one of the only people uh, that I know of that will shave off the color filter array from a camera. And he did this with the Nikon D850 as well. If you want to buy a D850 and you only want to use it for monochrome, a lot of people real think that Leica in the monochrome, um, uh, the M monochrome cameras uh, are the only options if you want to buy a black and white camera. You can get a Nikon D850 with the color filter array removed and you can be shooting that as a monochrome camera and it is the the resolution is just exceptional yes you have to process the raw files in a specific way uh in order to make sure that the uh color filter array data is not misinterpreted but the the idea of creating a new version of a camera whether it be in my case being full spectrum it can shoot infrared and ultraviolet and everything else, or shaving the color filter away, uh, uh, color filter array off to um, become a monochrome camera. He's that mad scientist engineer guy that can do this. And uh, take a look at his website. I've bought some of his filters to do ultraviolet reflectance photography. Uh, he's got UV light sources and all sorts of other stuff. Me as a mad scientist photographer talks to Dan Llewellyn as a resource and a wealth of knowledge. And he's somebody that I greatly respect. So my pick of the week is basically him and the services that he offers, uh, partly because uh, in my latest interactions with him, he really went above and beyond. And I'm grateful and respectful for that. Well, we have a mutual friend, Troy Miller, who is a phenomenal photographer with infrared as well. A lot of his fine art stuff is infrared. And uh, yeah, it's a fa it's fascinating world to change your camera. So if you do have a spare body, Go for it. And I will add, if your spare body happens to be one with an electronic viewfinder, oh, yes. things like infrared become magic. Oh, it's like you're looking at a parallel universe. You're walking around holding your camera up to your face, or if you've got live view, just looking at the, the rear LCD screen. And it's like, did you ever watch the TV series Fringe, Steve? I loved Fringe. 
when you've got the the magic window into the other universe. That's kind of what it's like. You're seeing all the same stuff in the same place, but everything is slightly different. Uh, and uh, so that was kind of fun. But uh, Dan Llewellyn, uh, maxmax.com, that's where you'll go for my pick of the week. He's great. Um, and uh, I guess that winds down the episode. Steve, where can people find you and your lovely podcast? People can find Behind the Shot at BehindTheShot.tv. They can find me at SteveBrazel.com. It's like Brazil, but two L's. I'm Steve Brazel on Twitter and Instagram or Behind the Shot TV on Twitter and Instagram. And please feel free to reach out. I'm also on YouTube for Behind the Shot. Wonderful. And the show notes uh, for all the stories that we discussed and the picks of the week, you can find at photogeekweekly.com, where the show notes for every episode that we've recorded are just lying for you to go and explore all the stories, read them yourself, listen to the episode, enjoy the conversation, and give us feedback as well. I always love to hear from people, uh, you know, especially when people like write a review, uh, which there was one recently and I can't find it right now in my inbox. I'll save it for the next episode. Uh, the I like to read reviews that come in uh, from my alerts when they uh, when they arrive. It was a positive one. But thanks for everybody that's been listening. Uh, I appreciate your time uh, because it's been over an hour of it. Uh, thanks for lending that to this conversation. And now it's time to get out and shoot. <laughs> <laughs>